You're listening to a sermon from Hebron Baptist Church, a church in the northern Kentucky Cincinnati area that's committed to making disciples who make disciples. We want our love for God to be evident in our lives and for the Word of God to bear fruit as we go on mission across the street and around the globe. We hope after hearing this message, you'll connect with us on our website at hebronbaptist.org and visit our campus, not far from I-275 in Hebron, some Sunday morning. Our worship services are at 9.30 or 11. And now, here's a message from God's perfect, life-changing Word. I first want to thank the youth worship band for leading worship for us this morning. They did an excellent job. Yep. So you may be wondering why I'm standing here and I don't have my jacket on and my sleeves are rolled up. Well, it was 75 last service and I had a, a heat flash. So I'm going to hope and pray that this doesn't happen again because that was not very fun. So bear with me if I have a heat flash. I'm, I know I'm getting older, so it's expected to happen. This morning we'll be in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. But my question for you off the bat is, what do you fear? What do you fear? What keeps you up at night? The the recent school shootings and the acts of terrorism show us the reality of evil in our world. We see it. But the things we value most can be put on the line and gone in a matter of a moment. Our job, our health, money, safety, it can all be taken from us instantly. Scary, really. It tempts us to fear, tempts us to get anxious. There's so many things that tempt us to get afraid. So how do we respond to fear? How should we respond to fear when it creeps up in our lives? Well, the psalmist says, when I fear, I will trust in God. But trusting God isn't always easy. We would all acknowledge that. At the heart of Christianity is the idea that when we put our trust and faith in Christ, that we put it all in him, we'd invest everything we'd have into him, and we don't pick and choose what parts we want to trust him with and what parts we don't. To follow Jesus is to give everything to him. But we know our hearts are divided. They're deeply divided. So one author puts it this way. He says, our reality within is something like a boardroom. There's a big table, leather chairs, coffee, a whiteboard. A committee sits around the table. There is the social self, the private self, the work self, the sexual self, the recreational self, the religious self, the childhood memory self, and others. The committee is arguing and debating and voting. They're constantly divided. They're agitated at one another. Rarely can they come up with a unanimous decision. At some level, we feel the strain of our complicated selves. We're stressed, distracted, divided, pulled from one event to the next by forces we don't understand. We are just indecisive. A person in this condition can trust Jesus in one of two ways. The first one is just to invite him into your committee. Just invite him in. Let him just be another voice inside your committee. They're all arguing. Just add him in. Let him get his little, his little chimes in too. That's one way. The second thing is to do 
is to then tell Jesus, be like, hey, I want you, you're over this whole committee. Go in, fire them all. Lord, you run my life. I don't want all these competing voices going against me. I want to follow you and I want to trust in you. If God does not run your entire life, if he is not the central focus of your life, fear, anxiety will creep in. And fear, an acronym for fear is false evidence appearing real. We're fearful of things that may or may not ever even happen. The immediate effect of fear is to shut down and we contract our energy inward. We start thinking inwardly instead of looking out. As we look at the book of Numbers in the story, I want you to see that the Israelites forgot the promises of God. They forgot all the miracles that they have seen and they contracted their energy inward. And they looked right at themselves when they should have been staring at God. So let's look. Numbers chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. Then we're going to read verses 17 to 24. The Lord spoke to Moses, send men to scatter out the land of Canaan I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one man who is the leader among them from each of their ancestral tribes. Moses sent them from the wilderness up Paran at the Lord's commands. All the men were leaders in Israel. Flip to verse 17. When Moses sent them out to scout the land of Canaan, he told them, go up this way, up to the Negev, then up to the hill country, see what the land is like, whether the people who live there, whether they're strong, weak, few, many. Is the land they live in, is it good or is it bad? Are the cities they live in encampments or are they fortified? Is the land fertile or is it unproductive? Are there trees or no? Be courageous. Bring back some fruit from the land. It was the first, it was the, it was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and scouted out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob to the entrance of the month. They went up through the Negev up to Hebron and where, we're just going to keep going there, uh, descendants of Anak were living. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they came to the valley of Eskel, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, which was carried on a pole by two men. They also took a couple of pomegranates and figs. The place was called the valley of Eskel because the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut there. So, we read the beginning section. And the first thing I want to point out is God's promises. God promised. Your first blank on the back is God promised. The account to which we're reading is similar to Deuteronomy 1, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, where we see that the people had requested to send out spies because Moses challenged them to go conquest land, to go get the land. So the Lord here in Numbers says, hey, do it. Send them out. Go See the land, go scout it out. The calling of the 12 spies, each one from each tribe, it was just to go explore the land. Go explore the promised land. These men were presumably younger. They were younger leaders in Israel, probably around 40 years of age, based on the age of Caleb and Joshua. And we see in the first three, chapter, or three books of the Bible that God's promises are good for this land. Here, here are some of the verses. This is not an all-inclusive list, by the way. Genesis 12, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I'll give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Genesis 15, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, I'll give this land to your offspring from, from the brook of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. The land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadamites, Hethites, Perizzites, Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Exodus 6, now I'll bring you to the land I swore 
swore with uplifted hand to the gift of Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I'll give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Exodus 13. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Hivites, Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers who would give you, the land flowing with milk and honey, you must carry out this ceremony. Leviticus 20, and I promise you, you will inherit their land since I will give it to you to the possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who sets you apart from the peoples. Here's, here's the last one. This is my favorite because I actually read this a couple weeks ago. Pastor Mark was like, hey, will you, will you read this as our reading for the week? I read it, and sure enough, I'm like, this is Numbers 13 and 14. With your faithful love, you will lead the people. You have redeemed. You, have, you will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. When the people hear, they will shudder. Anguish will seize the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be terrified. Trembling will seize the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan will panic. Terror and dread will fall on them. They will be as still as a stone. Because of your powerful arm, until your people pass by, Lord, until the people whom you purchase pass by, you will bring them into the land and plant them into the mountain of your possession. Lord, you have prepared the place for your dwelling. Lord, your hands have established a sanctuary. The Lord will reign forever and ever. I don't know about you, but that pretty much sounds like what? God's going to give them the land. He wants them to have the land. He desires for them to have the land. He has been faithful to them. Looking at verses 17 to 24, we see that Moses sent them out with this instruction. Hey, listen, if you look at it, he says, go, just go see. Go, is the land good? Is it bad? How are the fruits? Be courageous. Go grab a fruit. Bring it back. Are they big? People big? Are they small? Are they all living in camps? Is it like a little campground here? Are we talking about fortified cities? How many are they? Is there a ton of them? Those are not very many. He literally wanted a report. That's what he wanted. He just wanted a report. But this is nothing radical. Just check it out. Go see it. This should have been an exciting time for the Israelites. Should have been so exciting. Here's why. Because they heard all the promises. They knew the promises. But yet they knew that God has always been faithful to them. They would have known that the promise made to Abraham. They would have known that God brought a sacrifice for Isaac about the burning bush, that God feeding them manna from heaven, which just happened a couple verses or a couple chapters earlier. Eating and drinking when they were complaining and being griping, gripers. He continually supplied for them. God saving their firstborn on the Passover, the 10 plagues. God rescuing from Egypt. I mean, what else do they need? What else do they need from God? They were right on the cusp of getting the promised land. They're right there. Go, spy it out, see what's there. So the spies go out, and one of the first places they would have gone would have been Hebron. Hebron is a really cool place. It's not only a really cool place, because we live in an area called Hebron. Everyone I talk to is like, oh, you live in Hebron. I'm like, you read your Bible. I love you. They're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. It's a good gospel opportunity, all right? So here's what you know about Hebron. It's really cool. I want you to think about this. They would have came to Hebron as they were passing by to go buy out the land. Here's what happened there. Abraham buried Sarah there. Sarah couldn't have a kid on her own. So what happened? God provided, right? Abraham built an altar to the Lord there. Abraham and Isaac were both buried there or put in tombs there. I can just imagine, like, Hebron, you know, maybe not a big city, whatever, right? High grass. The, I can imagine the 12 spies walking around being like, man, that's where Sarah's buried. 
man, Abraham, Abraham and Isaac are both here. Man, God promised them this land, and we are on the cusp of getting it. This is amazing. Man, God, you are faithful. You are pure. You are holy, God. Thank you for who you are. Thank you. Thank you. They would see the promises, who the original promises were made to. And the faithfulness of God to persevere within their complaining and the faithfulness of God for Abraham, etc. But I got a feeling as we keep reading that what I just described to you didn't actually happen. I got a feeling that they didn't pass by Hebron and were like thinking, wow, God, you are faithful to us. Although I think that would be the proper response is worship. That was not the proper response. So they go for 40 days spying out the land. And I just imagine that they just bring back this massive grape. I mean, this massive cluster of grapes, not like Kroger grapes, okay? Not like these, I mean, maybe they were non-GMO, I don't know, okay? But I just imagine this huge cluster of grapes that, I mean, it had to be carried with two poles. Like, I imagine that this thing is just like one grape fed a family, all right? Like, I, I don't know, but I just, I just get this picture that they're just like, this is so fertile. This land is amazing. I'm telling you, so fertile, it is truly flowing with milk and honey and huge grapes, like, I just imagine them being like, God, you are good. This is awesome. This is incredible. So they get it. They get the grapes. They're probably like, wow, this is awesome. Can't wait to show our people. Here is the intention of the whole trip. The exploration of the land gave valuable information to Moses for the conquest of the land. Why else do you send out spies? Bring back information so they can conquest the land, knowing that who's on their side? God is. God is on their side. God was faithful to the Israelites 100% of the time. My three-year-old son, Elisha, and I, we love playing games, and I love playing trust games with him. I think it's really fun. Since he was little, I was always throwing him up in the air, sometimes a little too high from what their grandparents said. Um, but even when he was little, he'd stand on the first step, and I'd be like, come on, buddy, come on, jump, and he would jump to me, and as he got older, he'd go to the second step, and the third step, and the fourth step, I don't want to go any farther, because I don't want to scare you, but I've never dropped Elisha when he's jumped. He's jumped probably now thousands of times, and he's, he always jumps to me, and he's never fearful, he doesn't get scared because he has a perfect, I have a perfect track record with it. He knows when I jump and dad's there, he's going to catch me every single time. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. This past week, just because I was writing this illustration, I'm like, I better test this out one more time before I go and lie to the church. So I go, okay, buddy, come on. So I go, and Hannah was there, and she was like, what are you doing? I put, on, put him on some high things this week in our house. Um, one was probably higher than this, probably like up here, put him up there, very uncomfortable situation. There was nothing around him, wasn't like steps, so it's the biggest free fall he would ever have. I go, come on, bud. Didn't even think, just like it was on the first step again. Just, just jumped. Took him out, did him with some, one, another place. I'm like, let's just make sure. Let's just make sure I'm not going to lie to him. Put him on there, jumped. Didn't even think about it. He didn't say, Dad, I've never been put in this situation. I'm a little scared. Are you sure you're going to catch me? Or, 
Dad, I'm a, little, I'm a little anxious. Are you strong enough to catch me here? He never does that. Why doesn't he do that? I've caught him 100% of the time. He has nothing to fear. He doesn't have to be fearful to jump to me because I always catch him. The Israelites, God always, he was perfect for the Israelites. He had a perfect track record for the Israelites. They had nothing to be afraid of, right? When they're hungry, when they're complaining, what happens? He gives them manna. What is manna? Miraculous food. He's a perfect track record. He has never messed up. What are some of the promises of God that you are holding fast to? God's word does not return void. Are you holding on to that? Are you holding on that he has given you the promised Holy Spirit or that he's never going to forsake you or leave you? Are you holding on to that he hears your prayers and that he loves you and cares about you or that hell will not prevail against the church? The church will always stand. Do you trust God with your life? Do you trust him with your kids or your grandkids? Are you willing to jump? Are you willing to jump and free fall into Christ's plan for your, for your life? Although it's uncomfortable and it may not even be your desire initially, are you willing to obey even if it's not your ideal plan? What big decisions do you need to trust God in? We all have them. Another one of God's beautiful promises that he promises salvation to those who trust and believe in him. You may be sitting here today and you haven't put your faith and trust in God. I promise you, if you come to him, his arms are wide open. So not only God's promise is sure, Second part is the, peop- the people rejected. The exploration is complete, brought back massive grapes, jumbo grapes. Now here comes the report. We're going to read Numbers 13, 26 to, t- to 34. Then the men went back to Moses, Aaron, and the Israelite community in the wilderness at Paran and Kadesh. They brought back a report for them and the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They reported to Moses, hey, we went to the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey, and here is some of its fruits. However, big word there, however, the people living in the land, man, they're strong. The cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amicalites are living in the land of the Negev, Hethites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted Quite the people in the presence of Moses said, let's go up now and take possession of the land because we certainly can conquer it. But the men who had gone up with them responded, we can't attack the people. Man, they're stronger than us. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites. The land we passed through to explore is, devours its inhabitants. Let's just, let's just stop there. They start off and man, they're positive. Man, great land. Surely it's flowing with milk and honey. But quickly, what are they saying? Super negative report. Man, they're big. There's some big dudes in that land. Walls are huge. How are we going to do this? I don't think we can. Actually, I know we can't. We shouldn't go. That's what they're saying. But why are they saying this stuff? Didn't the spies just pass through Hebron? Don't they know the promises of God? Here's why. They forgot the promises of God. And when you forget the promises of God, it'll lead you to fear and anxiety. If you lose the promises of God, fear will creep in and eat you up. Anxiety will eat you alive. 
Although this story is 3,500 years old, it is much of the same way with us. We need to make sure that we don't get bored with the promises of God, that we don't get bored with the things that God has given us. Every single day in Sinai, the Lord would give them manna. They would gather it, bake it in the midst of the wilderness. Listen, they're in the wilderness. It's not flowing with milk and honey. God is providing for them every single day. But here's what they say in Numbers 11. They say, man, we remember the free fish that we ate in Egypt. Okay, hold on, let's pause there. They said the free fish, free, F-R-E-E. It wasn't free. That's cool. I'll get there in a second. So we remember the free fish we ate in Egypt, along with the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, onions, and garlics. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing to look at but this manna. Nothing to look at. All I got is manna. Dude, you're in a wilderness. There's nothing around you. God is providing for you. Eat the manna. But... It wasn't free. Why? Well, let's look at this. They were, they were enslaved. They were making bricks. Uh, they were in chains and whips. All that came as a side dish to their melons. You want some melons? Cool. Put these chains on. You want some fish? Start making, start, being, start building some stuff. They were enslaved. Egypt would have been hell on earth. 400 years of slavery and death. Yet they're worried about free fish over manna in the wilderness. They were discontent. Do you ever find yourself in a place of discontentment? We kind of overlook it as like, this is a sin struggle. Like it's not that big of a deal. But man, we all say, I want something new. Our culture is kind of embedded into our lives, right? We need a new car every three to five years. Every two years you need a new cell phone because, well, they're going to give you an upgrade and Start counting down the days for that. Every seven seconds, the TV changes angles. Why? So you don't get bored. Companies say have different commercials come out every single week. Why? So you don't get bored of their commercials. We get bored. People have been at the same job for a long time. They're like, I need to do something else. Well, what's wrong? Nothing. You need to do something else. Why? I just need to do something else. Why? You're bored. You're bored. You want to do something else, although nothing's wrong. But this is the essence of a midlife crisis. Boredom. Discontentment. After a few years on the job, same routine, you need to change. Some people even leave, or leave their families because they need a change. It's horrible. My pastor in Louisville he called, the, he called it the late 20s panic. People in their late 20s, early 30s are like, I'm not as successful as I thought I would be. I don't have as much money as I thought I'd be. Man, I, didn't, I, I, mean, I thought I'd have more kids than this, or I thought I'd have more Instagram followers, or I thought, you know, I thought whatever. But they panic, and they freak out, and what do they do? They need a change right now. I need a change. Why do they need a change? They don't need a change. They're young. They need to keep going. Because they're discontent. They're not grateful for what they have right now. So our challenge is we need to teach our hearts to be content with what we have right now. What do you have right now that God has given you that you just need to be content in? And just sit in it. And enjoy the gift that God has given us. Remember, fear is false evidence appearing real. The immediate effect of this is to shut down and turn our energy inward. 
This is exactly what happened. If we look at it, God promised to say, hey, I'm going to give you this land. What happened? They forgot the promises. They forgot and they lost sight of God's power and says, well, we can't go up against them. No way. Too big. Too big. We're too weak. But you know what? They are too weak. But that's why God chose them, because he's going to make them strong. Not because they're strong, because they're weak and they're little sissies. But God is strong. He's all powerful and he controls everything. Out of the 12 spies, 10 of them came back with bad reports. and They were exaggerated reports and they stirred up fear in the people. I imagine Caleb and Joshua, I imagine the other people sitting there like, man, I'm telling you, we can't go. Don't even think about it. If this comes to a church vote, we got to vote no. There's no way we can do this. I'm telling you, I don't care what anybody else says. And then Joshua and Caleb are like, whoa, dude, chill. God's on our side. Listen, he promised us we're going to go up in this land every single time. We're going to be able to get it. No big deal. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's be courageous here. And they're like, we ain't going. We can't go. There's no way. And, and here's the people's response. Look at chapter 14. Then the whole community broke out loud into cries. And the whole people wept that night. And all the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron. The whole community told them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into this land just to die by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Wouldn't it just be better for us just to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's, let's get a new leader. Let's get up out of here. Let's go to Egypt. Egypt was hell on earth. Why would you go back to slavery when you're right on the cusp of getting the promised land? It doesn't make any sense to me. The conclusion is they want to go back to the promised land. They are rejecting the land that God had promised. It's pathetic. If we're honest with ourselves, it's pathetic. You're like, literally, all you got to do is go Come back with the report, trust in God, and you get the land. That doesn't happen. They were promised the land and rejected it. Now, no illustration is perfect, and this one is far from it. But I think about it. If you if you're, get your first full-time job at 22, and you open up a 401k with your company, and you begin putting money into it, and they begin matching the money, so the company that you're working for and the company who you have the, the investments through, they keep sending you the reports year after year, right, of how much money, how much your money is grown. And they, and they keep telling you, hey, listen, only 40 years left, only 35 years left, 30 years left, 20 years left, 10 years, five years you can get the money. Five years you can get it. And they keep going. They keep sending you the reports of how much your money is accrued and, and then how much longer you have so you can sign on the dotted line and get it. But then the time comes to get it. You're like, yes, I retired but then you reject it. But you didn't reject it because the money wasn't there. You reject it because, honestly, when I have a meeting with these people and they're going to meet me and I got to go to their office and I got to sign on the dotted line to get the money, I'm fearful they're not going to show up. I'm just scared they're not going to show. So I'm not going. I'm, I'm not taking it. I'm rejecting it. And you're like, what? Dude, you've worked. Like, you've retired. Like, you're ready to take the money. Sign on the dotted line. They're going to be there. They've been telling you for years they're going to be there. 
but you reject it. Israelites could, all they had to do was come back in faith, trust in God, sign on the dotted line, they're done, they're into the promised land. They rejected it. Just cold, right there. It doesn't make any sense to me. They just flat out rejected God's good gifts. Are you bored with God's good gifts this morning? What promises of God are you ignoring? If you're not a believer, do not neglect the free gift of salvation. That's something you don't want to reject. Lastly, God judged. Look at verse five. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly of the Israelite community. Normally in the Old Testament, to fall on your face was to worship. In the book of Numbers, we see uh, it usually anticipates a great act of judgment. If I was Moses and Aaron, I would be freaking out. Like, what is God going to do? I mean, the people just rejected the promised land. Look, look at verses eight, and, 8 through 12 in chapter 14. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey and give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people in the land. We will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. While the whole community threatened to stone them, the glory of the Lord appeared to them to all the Israelites at the tent of meeting. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people despise me? How long will they not trust me despite all the signs I have performed for them? I will strike them with a plague and destroy them. Then I will make you into a greater and mightier nation than they. But Moses replied to the Lord, the Egyptians will hear about it. For by your strength, you have brought up this people for them. Caleb and Joshua give one last appeal. One last appeal saying, guys, let's go get the land. They have no protection. God is on our side. And they simply say, let's stone him. Let's just kill him. These guys are nuts. Let's kill him. But then the glory of the Lord appears to him. God is obviously not happy with the Israelites here. He wants to wipe them out. You ever heard of that before, that God wants to wipe somebody out? But in verse 20, Moses intercedes for the people. And he says he will pardon their sin. But he pardoned their sin, but it was not without consequences. There's grave consequences to our sin. Here's the judgment that comes. I'll just tell you. He sends the Israelites into the wilderness. No one older than 20 years old who grumbled against the Lord will ever see the land. They just won't be allowed in. They will die in the wilderness. The people younger than 20 will shepherd and work in the wilderness and serve the punishment for the older generation's faithlessness. They will be in the wilderness for 40 years, one year for each day they spied on the land. Ten spies who came with a bad report in front of the people all died of a plague. Only Caleb and Joshua, who were older than 20, will be able to inherit the land. Although God forgave their sin, there were still consequences, right? And there's still consequences to our sin. Despite being a Christian and and your sins being taken away, there are still consequences, real life consequences here on earth when you sin every single time. Some you just may not see for years later. God forgave their sin, but there's still consequences. We just don't get off easy or act like like it's no big deal. 
Like sin's no big deal. It's all okay. There's always consequences for our sin. I want you to see one last tragedy in this, if that wasn't tragic enough that they just rejected the promised land. One last tragedy. End of chapter 14. You can read it later. It says that my heading says, Israel routed. That's not good, in case you were wondering. At the end, some people say that they're going to go invade the land now because they feel bad. They feel bad. They didn't obey. They didn't obey God the first time. So, guys, let's go. Come on, we're going to make it up. We're going to do it. What happens? They get routed. They get routed. They get destroyed. Why? It's too late for them. It's too late. It's simply too late. How tragic would it be for you to say at one point, hey, I want to believe, but not do it, and it's too late. Straight from the Bible, there's going to be a time in your existence when it's too late. There's going to be a time in your life, it is too late for you. But the good news is this, if you're sitting here, you have a heartbeat, and you're breathing, it's not too late. It's not too late to turn to Christ right now. But there's going to be a time when it's too late. When you're standing before God and he reveals the fullness of who his son is and what he has done on the cross, when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess, and it's going to be too late for you. And it's just going to be too late. But this morning, you can make it right with God. The good news of the gospel is that God promises salvation to those who call and trust and believe in him. But much, much like this sermon outline, we rejected people. We rejected it. We don't want God, but he pursues us. And he calls us to himself. And we can only, be, we can only escape judgment because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's our only hope. Our only hope is Christ. I would just ask you if, you, if you've not thought about that or taken that into consideration of salvation or what do I believe in, I'm going to be in front. I'd love to talk with you about that because the Bible says today is the day for salvation and literally means like today, not in five years when I get my act together, not in five years when I'm more established. Today is the day of salvation. I'll be up front to talk to you if you have any questions about salvation or membership or baptism. Let me pray and the worship band will come and lead us in one more song. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are all-knowing. We thank you, Lord, that you are perfect. Lord, that you are flawless. God, we are a people who are in desperate need of you. God, we need your grace. We need your mercy. We reject you constantly. Help us never to get bored with the good gifts, Lord, that you give us. I pray, Lord, that for the people in here who do not know your son, I pray, Lord, that they would receive the gift of salvation that comes only through your son, his perfect life, his death on a cross, his burial, and his resurrection. God, because we know there's going to be a time when it is just too late for us. So, Lord, I pray that we would all 
trust in you and obey you at all costs. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hebron Baptist Church. We pray as you have listened, the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart that you may faithfully follow him. Most importantly, we hope that you've been drawn into a relationship with God. At Hebron, we believe that the gospel is the central message of the Bible. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. But he was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. The most appropriate response to hearing this good news is turning from sin and turning to Christ. Don't stay far from God. Instead, repent and believe in Christ and be brought into an intimate relationship with Him. If you would like more information about this life-changing decision, please contact us through our website at hebronbaptist.org or even better, come see us on a Sunday morning. May God bless you as you follow Him.